Delighted to have Roger and Donna Campbell with us tonight. It's always a pleasure to have them with us and to hear uh, not only of the good work that they are doing now in Malaysia, but to hear a great lesson from God's Word. We'll hear both tonight as Roger updates us on the work and presents a lesson from uh, God's Holy Word. Roger and Donna, of course, spent 10 years working with the Very Fine Union Grove congregation uh, in Cleveland, and we appreciate the good work they did there and the good work that continues there in that very fine uh, congregation there. They've been in Malaysia now for three and a half uh, years, and as I asked Roger how long, I said it just doesn't seem like it's been that long. And uh, I couldn't help but think about how long we had planned to stay in Malaysia, and uh, we didn't get to stay even three and a half years. Just 18 months was uh, our tenure based upon the circumstances at that time, but we're so thankful and I was so thankful when I first learned that they were going to be able to go to Malaysia because uh, those brethren have a special place in our hearts, having uh, worked there for the limited time and having intended to be there for a much longer period of time. So we're delighted to have uh, Roger and Donna working among those brethren there and knowing of the soundness and the capability of, of this good family uh, is heartwarming indeed and encouraging uh, to us especially and I know to, uh, to all of you. Uh, Roger brought some books that have been reprinted, a general overview of the Bible, and these are free for the taking. There, I think he said he had about 15 with him here that he's making available to uh, the first 15 who get there. I already have mine, and uh, so you can't have this one. <laughs> but uh, uh, those who would be interested, and I'm sure uh, a lot would, but I uh, couldn't help but think this might be a good study book for our men's uh, Thursday class. We might ought to just uh, take those out of the foyer and uh, save them for that. But uh, we appreciate Roger sharing this material uh, with us and uh, those uh, who would like to have one that while they last, uh, feel free uh, to uh, take them. Without uh, taking more of his time, I'm just very happy to introduce uh, Brother Roger Campbell. If you come up one short on those books and Jim won't share his, we do have some others available if you'll let us know. Don and I are delighted to be here tonight. Beginning back in 1999 when we moved to this part of Tennessee and began working at Union Grove, since that time we've made a lot of trips to White Oak to attend a number of activities. I've been blessed to be a speaker for different occasions. But if I understood Brother Steve correctly, he said it had been announced that we were coming. I thought, oh no. A year ago today, on this Sunday, a year ago, we visited one of our supporting churches in McMinn County. The congregation there has been around since 1850. And two Sundays before we were there, they had 55 in attendance. And the Sunday before we were there, they had 55 in attendance. But a year ago on this day, when Don and I were there, including us, there were nine people present. I said, that will teach you to announce in advance who's coming to speak. Well, there are a lot of family relations, and because a lot of their kids come to our Bible camp, which begins a week from tomorrow, they went a week early. So it was intentional. That's what they told me at least. Did you know Malaysia's in the news? If you're, when you get on the internet, if you open up to Yahoo or to some other places, Malaysia's in the news now because at this time of year in Indonesia, they're burning off their crops. And because of the wind currents, that smoke and haze, 
is uh, tormenting Singapore and Malaysia. And so we, in fact, this morning when we got up and checked our email, we had a message from the U.S. Embassy in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, the capital city, saying that uh, throughout Malaysia, the air quality was either hazardous or not good. And so uh, it happens two or three times a year, and there's a lot of sickness that, that's going around. January 2010 is when we went to Malaysia to begin our planned five years of work. And I remember well uh, the fall before that, coming and meeting here in a room with uh, Brother JC and Brother John and, and, and Brother Jim and explain to them what it is we were planning to do. And, and they very graciously decided to support our work. And since our time in Malaysia, we've been blessed to have a number of congregations in this part of Tennessee as our supporters. And we're so blessed that, that all of our congregations have continued to stay with us. We were here last year to give a brief update and to present a lesson. I'm going to just use a few moments tonight to tell you about two or three things that are either new in our work or things that are ongoing. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles in just a moment, we're going to have a lesson from Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. When we moved to Malaysia three and a half years ago, it was our intent and still is our intent to work with congregations that have already been established. And we were blessed last October in the community where we're living. We live in a part of the city of Sha'alam that's known as Kotakomaning. It's a community that's been in existence for about 10 years. And in December of 2009, there were brethren living in that general area who thought that it would be a good idea to establish a new congregation there. And so six families, some who had originally been at the Klang congregation and some who had been at the Subangjaya congregation, went together to form the nucleus of this new group. And so in December of 2009, which was one month before we arrived, they began having this congregation, having their public assemblies. Well, in October last year, the congregation there with which we meet uh, two Sundays and two Fridays each month, they appointed elders. And let me go back and give a little bit of history. The church in Malaysia was established in about 1960. And in the course of time, at this hour, there are slightly over 20 congregations. I mean, if you include anyone that considers themselves members of the church, there are a slightly over 20 congregations. In the mid-70s, one congregation had elders for a couple of years and then no longer did. About six or seven years ago, the Klang congregation established an eldership. And then last October, the Kotakamning brethren appointed two men to serve as elders. And so now this is only the third time in the history of the church in Malaysia. And so currently, there are only two congregations in all of Malaysia that have elders. And so this is a major step. It's an important step for the Kotakamanin congregation. It also serves as a good example for the other congregations which have existed a much longer period of time but have not yet matured to the point of having an eldership. And so that's certainly something for which we are grateful. So there are two elders there now, there are two deacons, and 
The congregation has about 50 in attendance on Sunday mornings. The second congregation with which we work on a weekly basis is the Subang Jaya Mandarin-speaking congregation. I go there every Wednesday for a Bible study from 7.30 until 9, and I meet with them on two Sundays of the month. On the mornings that we're at Kotakamaning in the morning, then I go to Subang Jaya, which is a drive of about 25 minutes. It's another city, but go there for those two Sundays. And then we're continuing to work with the third congregation down in the city of JB, which is very close to Singapore. And so we're encouraged by the appointing of eldership there at Kotakamaning. Last year, we began to have contact with a number of individuals from the country that formerly was known as Burma. There may be some in this assembly tonight who have served in the U.S. military or who have traveled in Burma. Now it's called Myanmar. And Myanmar is next to Thailand. When you come down from Thailand, then you come into the uh, Malaysia Peninsula there. And so there are a number of individuals from Myanmar who have come to Malaysia in order to work. Myanmar is one of the poorest countries in the world. And so a number of individuals are there working in low-paying jobs, some of them having a desire to move to the U.S. or other places on refugee status. But last year, we began to make contact with some of those individuals. And if I'm not mistaken, in 2012, three men obeyed the gospel. One of those men in, in February this year returned to Myanmar, got himself a new passport, and is now a full-time student at the Four Seas Bible College in Singapore, training to be a gospel preacher with the intent of going back to Myanmar at the completion of his studies. The Kotamanin congregation, which now has the two new elders, is fully supporting him during his time in Singapore. So we're grateful for that. This year, there have been three other individuals from Myanmar with whom we have studied who have obeyed the gospel. Let me tell you about one of those. I left Malaysia on May the 29th. On May the 28th, I had my 15th study with Ma'an, who is about 21 years of age, the wife of a man who obeyed the gospel in January. Ma'an doesn't speak English, she doesn't speak Chinese, and so in her case, I have to depend upon her husband to me by translator. He speaks quite a bit of English. And, but on the morning of our last study, which was a day before I came to the States, she didn't think she was ready. I said, okay, no pressure. If you're not ready, you're not ready. I said, but when you decide, don't wait. I said, I tell you what, tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to lay, and they don't call it a cell phone, they call it a handphone. So I'm going to lay my handphone right beside my pillow. So if you decide at 3 o'clock in the morning you want to be baptized into the Lord Jesus, you give me a call. Well, it wasn't 3 o'clock, but it was 12.20 a.m. I was up preparing an article for July publication of Truth, which we put out over there, and at 12.20 her husband called. He said, Sir, my wife want baptisma. Can? I said, Can. And Jim and Janice know that's the way they talk. He said, Can? I said, Can. So I called one of the elders, got him out of bed. His whole family came. Long story short, she's the Philippian jailer so far of our work in Malaysia. Remember in Acts 16, 
It was after midnight when the jailer and his family were baptized into the Lord Jesus. And so that's a great thing. So we've been blessed to be able to reach out to the Myanmar people. Every Thursday night we have a study with a group of them. Incidentally, last Sunday, we were visiting a couple of supporting churches in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. And after I spoke there Sunday night at Shebbyville Road, one of the elders' wives and one of the deacons' wives, both of whom serve as public school teachers, came to me and told me, said, you know what? For some reason or for a variety of reasons, Indianapolis attracts a lot of Myanmar refugees. And, and they estimated that there were about 3,000 people from Myanmar in the Indianapolis area. In fact, Sister Janie Biggs, the deacon's wife, she said as a primary school teacher, at least half of her students are from Myanmar. Isn't that interesting how these opportunities are opening in different parts of the world? And then we're continuing to be involved in producing written materials. In addition to the booklet that we have here, we've done a number of tracks. I've tried to prepare materials that can be helpful for teaching Bible classes. Only a handful of congregations in Malaysia have a gospel preacher. Full-time preacher, three-quarter preacher, half-time preacher, we just don't have them. And so what happens then is the local brothers do the teaching and do the preaching. And what happens in many cases, and I certainly understand why, many of the Bible classes are really sermons. Because People just feel more comfortable when they can preach a sermon and I have to answer questions. So I'm trying to prepare materials that can be used for Bible classes. I'm writing four articles each month for a truth periodical. And so those are the activities in which we're engaged. Lord willing, we'll be going back to Malaysia on the last day of July. And we've arranged what is by far the fastest route we've ever taken. Now, you know, good plans don't always work out. But Brother Ron, if things go as scheduled, we will leave Chattanooga and arrive in Kuala Lumpur in 29 hours. And that's fabulous in comparison to 34 or 35 hours. God willing, this coming Saturday, we will go to Greasy Creek. You ever been to Greasy Creek? Polk County. Okay. Reliance, Tennessee. At the 4-H Club where we will conduct two weeks of Bible camp. We'll go there this Saturday and won't go home until July the 13th. We've got kids coming in from 30 congregations and a few different states, and so we're blessed to have this opportunity. If you have children here, or you know of children that would like to come, we still have openings for the week of July the 8th through the 13th. And then when we get back to Malaysia, we will hit the road a-running. Mondays, I'll be teaching a two-hour class on 1st and 2nd Peter. Every Tuesday night, we have a home study in the home of one of the elders. On the alternate Tuesday nights, I'll be teaching Isaiah for an hour and 1st Corinthians for an hour. Every Wednesday night, I'll be teaching the book of Galatians from 7.30 until 9. Every Thursday night, we have a study with the group from Myanmar. Every Friday night, I'll be teaching somewhere in Kotikamaning. I'll be teaching 1st and 2nd Samuel and other congregations, other topics. Every Sunday, I'll be teaching 1 Timothy or 1 Thessalonians. And at least two Saturdays of the month, we have a class lasting two hours. So we have a schedule that's good for people that are still young. And so we want to do it while we're young. Let's turn our Bibles tonight.
You might have some questions about our work, and we'd be glad to answer those when services are over tonight. But let's look in, in Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, because of its location, may contain some aspects of the message of Acts which are sometimes overlooked. In chapter 10, beginning in verse 1 and going to chapter 11 in verse 18, there's a record of the conversion of Cornelius and his household. And it's not long after that, starting in chapter 13, that we read about Paul and Barnabas going on their first recorded preaching trip. But in between tonight, I want to look with you tonight at a section of Scripture that begins in chapter 11 and verse 19 and goes to chapter 11, the end of the chapter. And I want to ask you this question. I want to read this. And as we're reading this passage, I want you to ask yourself this question. During this period of time, in, in our lingo, what was the church up to? In other words, in what activities was the church participating? What kind of action was the church taking? Now you know as you read the early chapters of Acts, the focus is on the church in Jerusalem. Well in this section, we're going to read about the church in Jerusalem. And we're going to read about activities in which they participated in a different geographic location. So tonight, let's look at this passage. And I'm going to pick out a few thoughts to remind us of the actions which the first century church took. And let us step back tonight and see which of those actions in principle are repeatable today. And which of those actions or activities would be good for us to involve ourselves in in our time? But let's read first. Beginning in chapter 11. And I'm going to start, I'm not going to tell you where because I wanted to make a, a public uh, statement of thanks. It was so thoughtful of you all to try to make the auditorium feel like Malaysia tonight, okay? <laughs> Somebody said, is it hot in Malaysia this time of year? What day of the week is it, Sunday? Yes, it's hot on Sunday. It's hot every day, okay? But I appreciate you being thoughtful and trying to make us feel at home. Let's start in verse 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. I believe the New King James says the Hellenists, that is, the Jews who were living outside of the land of Palestine, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus 
for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Verse 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so as we study this passage of Scripture, we see the congregation at Jerusalem involved. We see the congregation in Antioch of Syria involved. We specifically read about uh, Saul, and we specifically read about Barnabas. So I ask again tonight, as we read this passage of Scripture and learn from this period of history, what was the church up to? In what were the Christians and congregations of that day participating? Well, let's go back up and let's work our way through the text and point out three or four things tonight. Notice, first of all, in verse number 19, here's what we see. The scattered disciples were preaching the Word of God. In fact, we're told in verse number 19 it's a scattering of disciples that was associated with a certain activity. What else? It? it was the activity connected with the persecution that resulted in the death of Stephen. You say, well, wait a minute. If I remember right, that's way back in chapter 7 when we read about the death of Stephen. That's correct. And it's in the opening verses of chapter 8 that we read about the disciples being scattered. Here's what happens. In Acts chapter 8, we're told in the first four verses that due to the persecution, except for the apostles who remained in Jerusalem, the other disciples were scattered. And you find this general statement in Acts 8 and verse number 4. Those that were scattered abroad did something. What was it? They went everywhere preaching the Word. That's a general statement in verse 4 of Acts 8. Those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. And then Luke did something that he does on other occasions. He goes from the general statement in Acts 8 and verse 4, and then he focuses our attention on one among those scattered disciples. Who was that one? Philip. Philip goes down to Samaria. Philip goes and, and, and preaches to the eunuch. Well, what about those other fellows? What about those other brothers and sisters in addition to Philip? Here you have it in chapter 11. At least some of them went to those places that are mentioned in verse number 19. And so that's how the church got its start in Antioch of Syria. Because the disciples who were scattered went everywhere preaching the Word. And here's a reminder to all of us. Many of us in this assembly today, at this point in our lives, we're not living where we grew up. 
We may be a short distance away. We may be a long distance away. But a number of us in this assembly tonight are not living in the location where we were reared. Many of us in this assembly tonight are not attending the congregation which we first attended after we obeyed the gospel. But here's a point we need to learn. Regardless of where we are, lost people still need the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And brothers and sisters in the Lord still need to be edified and encouraged. So our responsibility to the God of heaven and our responsibility to lost people and our responsibility to those who are already saved is not dependent upon our geographic location. And so the first century saints, when they had the unpleasant experience of having to leave Jerusalem, they took advantage of the opportunity to spread the good news of Jesus. And so all of us in this assembly tonight that have been saved by the blood of Jesus, we need to be looking for opportunities wherever we are to spread the good news of the gospel or to use that news to build up those who have already been saved. So in this section, what do we see? We see scattered disciples preaching the word. We need to imitate that. Secondly tonight, in this passage, we read about the church in Jerusalem offering help to a congregation in another location. Now, in this instance, what kind of help did they provide? Well, in our language, we call it manpower. Okay, look in your Bible in verse 22. Then tidings of these things. What things? The gospel going to Antioch and being received in Antioch. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which is in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And so here then in, in the book of Acts, this is the first time that we read about a congregation in one location offering assistance to a congregation in another location. And again, in this particular case, and we're going to see a different case by the time we stop today. In this particular case, it was the church in Jerusalem offering manpower, sending a worker, and he was a good one, yeah, sending a worker to help in the church in Antioch. Now let's be clear. The church in Jerusalem was not the headquarters for the Lord's church. The church in Jerusalem was not sending Barnabas to Antioch to be the boss. They sent him to Antioch to, to help the congregation in its activities. Now later, we will read in chapter 15. Remember chapter 15? The Bible records the gathering in Jerusalem to discuss the question of, of circumcision and the question of keeping the law of Moses. Well, at the conclusion of that gathering that's recorded in chapter 15, the church in Jerusalem wrote a letter and they sent to Antioch, along with Paul and Barnabas, they sent two prophets by the name of Judas and Silas. And so here in Acts 11, the church in Jerusalem is interested in helping the church in Antioch. So they send Barnabas. 
in chapter 15, the church in Jerusalem is again interested in helping a church in another location. And so they sent Judas and Silas. Here's a lesson that we can learn. Some congregations may not stand in great need of our assistance. There may be some just down the road who could use some encouragement. There may be some just down the road who need some of our brothers to go there from time to time to lead singing, teach a class, or to preach. There may be other congregations with whom we come in contact in more faraway places who need encouragement, who need training. Every congregation, every congregation has to decide for itself under what circumstances they will be able to help other congregations. And I know that if White Oak is like other congregations, what happens is your mailbox is often filled with requests. Filled with requests for someone to be supported. Filled with requests for, for other things. And so every congregation as autonomous groups of God's people have to make the decision which works will they assist and if they're going to assist, how can they be helpful. But let's do this. Let's make certain that we don't have blinders in the Lord's work. Blinders that in our prayers we pray only for me and for my people. Let's not have blinders where we think only about what's going on where we are. There may be opportunities where we can be helpful in other places. But now, so we've seen what was the church doing? Number one, the scattered disciples were sowing the seed. Number two, the church in Jerusalem was assisting the church in Antioch. Now in a moment, we're going to see the tables are going to be turned. But number three, once Barnabas got to Antioch, he carried out the mission for which he was sent. Barnabas worked with and assisted the church in Antioch. Well, how did he help? Well, let's read again some of these things. Look at verse 23. This is speaking about Barnabas. Who, when he came, came to Antioch, and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all. Now, people give different types of exhortation. In this case, the Bible says the type of exhorting that Barnabas did was he exhorted them that they should, with purpose of heart, cleave unto the Lord. As we would say, that was right down Barnabas's line. You see, when Barnabas was born, his mama didn't call him Barnabas. His mama called him Joses. But we learn from Acts chapter 4 that the apostles of Jesus in Jerusalem saw there was something that stood out about Barnabas. He had a special ability to do something. And so they said, we're going to call you Nabas. Bar Nabas. Bar means son of. Nabas. We're going to call you Nabas. Son of exhortation. Son of encouragement. Son of consolation. He had that ability to encourage others. Some of us may feel like when we want to encourage others, we just get all tang-tungled. 
Okay? And the words don't come out like we want them to come out. But Barnabas had that ability. And so we can understand why the church in Jerusalem would think, hey, he's a great person to go there and encourage them. On his part, Barnabas also had to be willing. You might remember another occasion in connection with the life of the Apostle Paul. When Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, we read in chapter 16 that Paul had tried to persuade Apollos to come to Corinth. But he said, Paulus didn't want to. In the case of Barnabas, in other words, Paulus would have come at another time. But Barnabas was willing to go. And he gets there and exhorts the people to cleave unto the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you and I have been in the Lord Jesus for five decades or five days. We need that kind of encouragement, right? We need people to stand behind us and stand beside us and stand with us and say, look, even though you're facing challenges, even though you're facing trials, even though not everything's going like you want it to go, you cleave to the Lord and at the end of the day, you'll end up in the right destination. Isn't that right? And so Barnabas went there to encourage the people. And verse 24 describes the type of man that he was. You might remember again back in chapter 4 for this man Barnabas. We read in chapter 4 that, that a number of the disciples in Jerusalem took their possessions, sold their possessions, and gave the money to the apostles for the work of the Lord. One individual whose name by name is this man, Barnabas. And then in chapter 9, we read about Barnabas. Saul of Tarsus had been converted in Damascus. And Saul came to Jerusalem and wanted to join himself to the disciples. What did they say? No way. They knew him as Saul the tormentor and Saul the persecutor. But somebody stepped up. Somebody stepped up and said, I'll vouch for Saul of Tarsus. You know who that was? Barnabas. And when Barnabas said, I'll vouch for him, it's a done deal. So here's a man with that kind of reputation. But you know, we don't serve Jesus on reputation. It's not about what we did in the past. It's about what are we doing now and what are we preparing to do. Look in your Bible in chapter 11. At the end of verse 24, the Bible says, and much or many people was added unto the Lord. So here's what you have. In verse 19 beginning, there's a record of the fact that those scattered disciples went to Antioch to preach. And then at a later time, Barnabas comes, and so we might call this phase two of evangelism in Antioch. And Barnabas comes, and as a result of his teaching there, many people were added to the Lord. Would you, th would you say that's a good thing? Yeah, fantastic. But here's an idea. Barnabas saw what was going on. Good things were happening, but you know what? We always need to be asking the question, even when things are going well, is there some way that we can do what we're doing even better? And Barnabas recognized, you know what? We've got a good thing going, but what if we could get Saul of Tarsus to come and join us? And that's what he did. And so he went to seek Saul, and the Bible says in verse 26 that they worked together there for a year with the congregation. Is it scriptural for a congregation 
to have a gospel preacher working with it? It is. Is it scriptural for a congregation to have more than one gospel preacher working with it? It is. In Antioch, they had Barnabas and Saul. And when you look over in chapter 13 and verse 1, when the Holy Spirit said, I want Saul and Barnabas to come and preach elsewhere, there were many prophets and many teachers in the congregation in Antioch. So here's a lesson we learned. Sometimes things are going well and we need to ask the question, is there some way we can improve it? Is it scriptural to have more than one teacher working in a congregation? Of course it is. What's the very best number to have? I have no clue. Each circumstance is different. But they worked there together and, and God be thanked that people were added to the Lord. And as a piece of history, we learn in verse 26, it was in Antioch during this period of time that the disciples for the first time were called Christians. You know, in all of the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times. In the whole New Testament, 27 books, 260 chapters, the word Christian is used three times. It's used here in Acts 11 and 26. In chapter 26 is where we read that Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, chapter 26 and 28. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. The word Christian simply means a follower of the Christ. I know the number of us in this assembly have heard Brother James Watkins speak. And some of us, well, we've lost count of how many times we've heard but have you ever noticed how Brother Watkins pronounces the word C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E-N? He puts the emphasis on the meaning of the word, a follower of the Christ. He calls it Christian. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? A Christian is a follower of the Christ. Well, in the context, if you didn't have any other Bible passage, what can you learn about a Christian from this passage of Scripture. Well, when you look at the information that we're given here in chapter 11 about these people, in verse 21 it says it's those that turn to the Lord. In verse 23, it's people that cleave to the Lord. And in verse 24, it's people that have been added to the Lord. We recall back in chapter 2, the last verse, verse 47. And the Lord added daily such as should be saved are those who were being saved, added to the church. So God added saved people to the church. They were called disciples, now they're called Christians. So, again, let me ask the question. What do we see the church doing in this period of time? Number one, we see scattered disciples sowing the seed. Number two, we see the church in Jerusalem sending manpower to help the church in Antioch. Number three, we see Barnabas assisting in serving in Antioch. And number four, verses 27 to the end, we see the church in Antioch reversing the direction and sending assistance to the brethren in Judea. Now the original need was they needed someone to help in the teaching program. So Jerusalem sent Barnabas. But beginning in verse 27, we read that Agabus a prophet of the Lord, 
predicted a coming famine. And the Bible says, when the brethren in Antioch heard that, what did they do? Look at verse 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did. Now, if you and I were looking at a map of first century Palestine, okay, if we were looking on our map and we have the Jordan River on the right side of the map, and the land of Palestine between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, at that point in time, the land of Palestine was divided into Judea in the south, which would include Jerusalem, Judea in the south, Samaria in the central, and Galilee in the north. And so you've got Antioch of Syria sending some type of material assistance to the brethren in the region of Judea. This is a beautiful thing. Because you see in this passage, congregations who learn of a need and do what they can within their power to help fill that need. In one case, they needed manpower. In this case, they need some type of material assistance. And so it's a beautiful thing to see people in different congregations who are not concerned that it's across the line in Georgia, not part of Tennessee. They're not concerned that it's across the line in Louisiana and not part of Mississippi. They're just concerned that it's God's people. And we need to have that same type of mentality. A couple of things and then we'll close. The Bible says in verse 29, the disciples determined to send relief. At that point, what they had was good intentions. How many times has it happened that you or I as individuals or as a family or sometimes even as a congregation Decisions are made, yep, that's what we're going to do. One month passes. One quarter passes, one year passes, and that decision that was made to do this thing hadn't been done. Verse number 29 says, they determined to send relief, and verse 30 says, which also they did. That's a little bit different than what we read about the church in Corinth. Remember in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is talking about that great contribution that he was collecting. He said, hey, he said, you folks over there in Corinth, he said, I've been bragging on you. I told people, you said a year ago you were going to get your bounty ready. He said, your bounty's not ready yet. They talked about it. They decided to do it. They had good intentions, but no action. I understand. Sometimes circumstances develop that do not allow us to carry out a certain plan of action which we had determined to take. That happens. But to the credit of these brethren, they decided to help and they did it. Every person according to his ability. I'm thinking, I don't know, I've never done a survey and don't intend to do a survey. But I'm thinking this passage in Acts does not get a lot of limelight or, or spotlight or, or headlights, okay? But here's what we see in this passage. The church in action. 
Scattered disciples sowing the seed. The church in Jerusalem stepping up to send manpower to Antioch. The man who was sent serving and helping. Saul and Barnabas working together. The church growing. And then when a financial or material need arose, the brethren there were more than willing to help. Do you know in the Bible, in the New Testament, in this passage, there are some first time things. We've already mentioned the fact this is the first time in the Bible where you read the word Christian. This is the first time in the Bible where you read about elders in the church. It's the first time in the Bible we read about prophets in the church. It's the first time in the Bible where we read about one congregation giving assistance in some form to another congregation. Am I suggesting to you tonight that we go back and live in the first century with no air conditioning ever? No, no, no. But there are certainly things we can learn. We can certainly study this passage and say, you know what? That's a good thing. We can imitate that. Let's give God the glory. Let's work together. I have no idea when the Lord Jesus is coming again, but we know according to the New Testament, He is coming. And we don't have any idea when we're going to leave this world, but we know someday we will. Let's make hay while the sun shines. Let's plow the corn while the plowing's good. Let's sow the seed when the opportunities are there. Let's encourage one another so that in this assembly tonight we can be together in heaven without the loss of even one. The song of invitation has been selected for tonight. Rescue the perishing. That's why Jesus came into this world. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and verse number 10. And aren't we glad that He did? The Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 14, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If you're here tonight as a member of the Lord's church and in some fashion have sinned and need the prayers of the saints, what a great time this would be if you would confess that the church could pray with you and pray for you and that whole matter could be resolved. Or maybe tonight you're here and you know the teaching of the Gospel. You know that in order to have your sins washed away, you must believe that Jesus is the risen Son of God who died for our sins. That you must be willing to put away your sins in repentance. Confess your faith. And as Saul of Tarsus was told, arise and be baptized to wash away your sins. If you would do that tonight, it'd be the greatest day in your life. It's God's invitation. Would you stand as we sing together?